y'all. Jonathan here back with a special episode of the Mountain Bike Podcast presented by Worldwide Cyclery. Uh, remember really quick, you can go to mtbpodcast.com to the store and get all your bike parts at Worldwide Cyclery that way. But we're here with a special episode. And this one is a sit-down interview with a person that you probably have heard of, or maybe if you haven't, I'm sure you've heard of his events. Uh, it's with Todd Sadow of Epic Rides. So Epic Rides, if you don't know, it's like uh, the Whiskey Off-Road, Grand Junction Off-Road, Carson City Off-Road, 24 Hours in Old Pueblo, all the different events they put on. It's the only race series that I see, at least domestically here in the U.S., that's genuinely growing rapidly and getting this huge amount of buzz and involvement and everything else. And there seems to be kind of like a common theme, and we talk about this in the interview, but a common theme of of racing numbers not being as impressive as they once were. However, his series completely contradicts that. So I sat down with Todd to figure out how he came up with Epic Rides and and what he or how he operates the whole thing to try to figure out what's unique about it because it's working, whatever it is. Um, if you haven't heard of his events, you totally should, but uh, we'll just let the interview speak for all of that. So uh, tune into this interview, enjoy it. And then thereafter, actually, later on this week, we have a special episode coming out that's kind of about this, maybe some new race announcement that's coming up with that. Anyways, stay tuned. It's going to be interesting stuff. Enjoy this interview with Todd, brilliant guy, mountain biker to the core. Todd Sadow, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit to these folks that are listening to this podcast right now? Um, my name is Todd Sadow. <laughs> yes, it is. I am the, uh, the uh, CEO of Epic Rides. And uh, also the janitor from time to time, <laughs> and um, and I, I co-founded the company 19 years ago. Okay, it's a uh, it's been a pursuit of passion, and uh, I've been riding bikes since I was a little kid. Mm. Never stopped, and particularly enjoy the mountain bike a lot. So 19 years ago, have you been holding races for 19 years? Yeah. Wow, I bet that's something that people don't really probably don't know. At least I didn't know that. Um, so maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but what, how did you, so you mentioned that you started riding when you were young, always rode mountain bikes. Did you, do you race? Um, did you race road? Did you do any of that stuff too? Or was it just pure mountain bike stuff? And were you a competitive racer? So I, I started racing the road when I was 11 years old, 11 and I was terrible. <laughs> Like I had zero success. I can't look back on one road race that I did as a kid and go, I mean, I was top five, like never once. I think I was <laughs> second to last most races, you know? And maybe That's just because awesome. I wasn't last, I kept doing it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I started racing on the road. I was inspired by Greg LeMond. Mm. You know, he was winning the Tour de France. Um, and, uh, and then when I graduated high school, uh, mountain biking was getting... It was literally having its first sort of um, emergence into as a sport and as an activity, mm-hmm. and uh, and I went to get a bike for college, and um, you know I always had uh, jobs throughout high school. I think I got my first job when I was you know, twelve, and I was taking under the table money from a golf course to pick up golf balls on a nice. golf course. Yeah, <laughs> which just supported my golf habit at yeah. the time. But um, but yeah, I uh, I went to buy a bike for college. And at that time I'd probably taken a year or two off from road cycling during high school. Okay. And, um, and I remember suspension had just come out. The, like, was it the RockShox Judy? 
Uh, no, no, Judy hadn't come out yet. It was the Quad 10 and the Mag 20. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like full elastomer, Quad okay. 10, like yeah. junk. Yeah. <laughs> nice. In hindsight, at the time though, it was really cool. Yeah. And um, and I went to buy a bike and, and my you know dad went with me to the bike shop and, and I had found a, a rigid uh, rock shock, hmm. um, a suspension rock shock. Or, I mean, suspension rock hopper. Okay. Rock hopper specialized. Yeah. 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 And it was like a nice, you know, midline bike. And, yeah. and my dad was like, mm, no, get the one with suspension. <laughs> and I was like, I'm buying it. It's yeah. my money. Like, don't spend, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it costs more for that one. Yeah. And, uh, and he, and then so I did. I ended up getting a Trek 920. Uh, can't remember what the, the name of the bike was. It was a 920 and it had a quad 10 on it. Nice. And, um, and what I did, you know, and he knew that I wanted to, it would get, I would enjoy the mountain bike and I didn't realize how much. Huh. And when I got to, I went to the university of Arizona in Tucson. And when I got there, my roommate was a mountain biker, still is. Hmm. And, um, and we went for our first, on my first mountain bike ride hmm. and, and I was hooked. Like I, you know, never looked back. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it, was he a rider too? Your father? No. No. Not at all. So he just knew that you would enjoy it or guessed that you would enjoy it. And that's what got you into it. Yeah. Uh, did you start racing in college then? Yeah. That? So quite literally from that ride forward, like I started riding you know, more regularly throughout freshman year. And yeah. by the end of freshman year, uh, the shop that I was going to, um, I was breaking stuff often on the bike, you know? Yeah, it happens. Yeah. yeah. The learning curve, it's yeah, the fun part. Right. And, and so, um, and they said, you know, you're probably, you probably ought to come and do a race with us. You know, and so they invited me along and um, went and did a, 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 a state series race as mm. a beginner, um, did well. And, and I think most notably, like it was, it was really gratifying to, to do the race, to finish it, to finish strong. Like I'll always remember like getting to that last mile and just hammering and passing people. Right. But, but the part that blew me away was the weekend, like being submerged in the culture of mountain biking. Mm. You know, we were, we were like, uh, just, I mean, it was probably what, it was the heyday of Arizona state series at the time. So it was probably 1500, 1800 riders there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was really, you know, what, 95, I kind of just dated myself, I guess, but yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so, so yeah. And, and it was just such a, you know, something that I obviously had this growing passion towards mm. and then to be surrounded by a bunch of people for a few days in the mountains of Arizona and, and to be able to talk bike the yeah. whole time. I, you know, from the race and the experience to, to just being around a bunch of people that were mm -hmm. like-minded, um, that was hooked. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. So from, from what made you make the jump from going from a person that raced to going to a person that wants to hold races? Was it simply, uh, you were looking at these events and you thought like, I really like this. I want to make this continue. Or was it, I think that we could do this and, and we could make these races better? What made you get into race promotion or organization? I lost a bet. <laughs> do tell. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No, no, I, um, so I studied marketing at the University of Arizona, uh, business with an emphasis on marketing. Um, really liked marketing a lot. Mm. Uh, started in MIS tried to follow my father's footsteps, mm -hmm. realized that that's not the way my brain works. Yeah. And, um, and, and then really took to marketing and, um, and, and when it came time, you know, the last year or so of school to look for a job, I couldn't find one. Mm. Uh, I even had, you know, close family friends dropping my resume on, 
um, instrumental people at big companies like Cannondale on their mm-hmm. desks to be reviewed. And I don't know if the industry was too small or if I wasn't a good candidate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. But either way, I wasn't getting a job in the bike industry. That, you know, and that's what I wanted. And, and so when I um, graduated, I ended up with a, a great job in corporate America mm-hmm. for a company based in Chicago that had an operation in Tucson that um, would allow me to stay in Tucson and train and race professionally hmm. and, um, and then also you know, get started in my career after college. And, uh, and so then the opportunity was presented to be a part of a couple of people to organize a mountain bike event. And at the time, I, I had no... It, it didn't matter what it was. I wanted to organize a mountain bike event because hmm. I figured I would meet people and then I'll get a job in the industry from the connections I make. Okay. And one of the people of the three of us that founded the 24 Hours in El Pueblo wanted to produce a 24-hour race. He had gone to the 24 Hours of Moab. He was smitten for it. He thought it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't even been, and I was producing a 24-hour event all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so that led to the first 24 Hours in El Pueblo. And really, I thought it would be, you know, organize an event once. Yeah. And then I'll meet people, and I'll go find a job. And instead, after the second year of that event, it caught on like wildfire. Mm. Uh, we went from 170 riders in the first year to 450 the second year wow. to 800 the third year. Holy cow. Yeah. And, and so after the second year, and at that point, I was living in California, in Northern Cal. And, okay. And you know, I had been promoted in the corporate job that I had. Yeah. And, um, and so you know, from afar, I was marketing the 24 hours in the Old Pueblo, and it grew a lot. And, um, and decided that you know, maybe this thing could become the job that I wanted. Mm. And so uh, at the same time, living in, in San Jose in the Bay Area for a year, I had gotten on a, a, a team with a great group of people mm. that we were racing you know, two different races every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. We were riding a ton. The community was phenomenal. It was, it was, a, it was a, an element of bike community that I'd never had before. Yeah, and and it opened my eyes up to maybe more of the lifestyle that existed, mm-hmm. and then also because this group of guys were really critical of all the races we did, I saw a lot of the f- things that they desired, hmm. and and thought I can add that to the twenty four hours in El Pueblo, or I should you know we can do these things differently. You know the things they want are attainable. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be done, you know? Right. And, and I had met a ton of people through them because these are kids that all grew up in the Bay, which is kind of the epicenter of mountain biking. Right. In the industry. Yeah. And so I met a bunch of people and I thought, all right, I'll go back to Tucson. I've got all these contacts. I've got all this perspective. I'm going to apply it to Epic Rides and I'm going to see what happens. Hmm. And um, yeah, so moved back to Tucson. Those two guys that I started the 24 Hours in El Pueblo with, um, ultimately within three years, they had sort of, uh, shut off to go do other things in life. Yeah, and you know, since year three, sort of hmm. one event turned into the job. So let's stay on twenty four hours of Old Pueblo. Then uh, that event, at least, so I haven't raced it yet. I think we're planning on doing it next year, um, myself and two others. So, um, and that event is known for much more than just being a bike race. It's known for a very strong sense of culture. So uh, for those that don't know, it, it happens, well, I mean, it, where does it happen? Actually, that's kind of the, the, one of the jokes of it, right? In the sense that it happens in 24-hour town, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of nowhere in Arizona, basically. Mm-hmm. What 
what caused you to, rather than just holding a 24 hour race, because plenty of those existed, why did you add on more to the cultural aspects? And I'm sure you can explain a little bit more of like, for example, the fact that there is a 24 hour town, the <laughs> vibe that exists there. Did you foster that vibe? Did it just naturally happen? What made you go for more than just holding a bike race? Cause it is more than that. Uh, boy, I think it, it just, we've, we've never produced an event where the focus is on winning. Uh, and we've never produced an event where we only wanted really fast people there. Hmm. Uh, we want everyone to be, to feel welcome and to, you know, to have an inclusive environment yeah. where, uh, uh, you know, no matter how fast or how novice or how new you might be to the sport, uh, everyone can be together and have a good time. Right. And in 24 hour town and in our Alfred series events, like that's the, the vibe that we want to cultivate mm -hmm. so that the objective is have fun first mm -hmm. and uh, personal achievements probably woven in there somewhere too. Right. Um, but most importantly, it's have fun first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that that, that ends up creating 24 hour town, okay. know, that vibe, you know, people show up and they're not worried about Monday to Friday. They're not worried about, you know, the work and the things that you know, bog us down. Um, they're, they're there to, to see friends that they maybe don't often see, but they do when they're part of the mountain bike community mm -hmm. and to socialize and, and have a good time and, and also to get in some, some good riding at the same time. So 24 hours in old Pueblo was your first race yeah. that you organized. Uh, like you mentioned, you had ideas of how you could make it bigger. How did you end up picking the next one and what was that? So uh, one event that we don't produce anymore that we created is called the Soul Ride. Soul Ride. Yeah. Huh. And that was the second event we introduced uh, during the third year of Epic Rides. Okay. And uh, the Soul Ride, which was inspired by going out and doing a long ride with a buddy and kind of having that overwhelming endorphin high. Yeah. And realizing that you can kind of get in touch with your soul through this stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Usually involves digging pretty deep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so at the time, 100 milers were starting to pop up. Mm -hmm. So the soul ride started as a 100 miler. And, um, and it was also north of Tucson, kind of like the 24 hours in the old Pueblo. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so that one, it, it was really, really grueling. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and it, 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 I think we ended up going about five years with it, uh, before it, it had its own sort of fate that sealed it. And was it too yeah, hard? Yeah. Do you think? No, I mean, it, you know, it, it was you're, you're known now for 50, 35 and 15 mile races or roughly around there. Right. Um, for the distances that exist in Epic rides. Mm -hmm. So it was a hundred miles. Is that one of the reasons you think or no? Uh, partially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that event showed me that we, that mountain biking needed something uh, that would cultivate entry into the sport. Okay. And I guess to your point, was it too hard? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was never going to be a big mountain bike event because there's only so many people that can do a hundred mile mountain bike event. Mm -hmm. And, and there's only so many people that can do more than one in a lifetime, let alone a year. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and that was about the time when this became a pretty serious okay, if this is going to be the job that I was looking for, then this has got to be a sustainable business mm -hmm. that can do more than just be a local event. We've got to contribute to the industry and we've mm -hmm. got to, you know, service it in a way that it needs. And, and mountain biking in the early 2000s was in a lull. It was a shrinking industry. Mm -hmm. uh, road cycling was thriving. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was time to, to really look at mountain biking with a straight face and say, what does it need? If we're going to build something here, then to grow something, you need to, you know, you need to manage it to where we're, we're accommodating some of the things that have been mismanaged or are in a void. What races came next after that? So the next event was the whiskey off road. Okay. Which is still going. In fact, it's coming up pretty soon. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, two weeks away. Yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what made you? So, what makes whiskey off road unique? Uh, if anybody's done an epic rides race, um, maybe you've done Grand Junction off road, maybe you've done Carson City off road, or you know whatever else. Uh, Tour of the White Mountains, plenty of stuff. What makes whiskey unique? Um, well, it's got graduated distance options. Okay. So there's a 15, a 30, and a 50. Okay. And, uh, and the idea behind that is that there's, if you're a beginner, uh, you very well might go out and ride like seven to 10 miles on the weekends. Yeah. You know, or in the evenings with your buddies. And so at 15, it's a stretch, mm-hmm. it's attainable. You'll be challenged. And when you're done, you'll be gratified. Uh, and so that's part of that filling the void of, of providing entry into the sport. Right. Uh, not everybody can off the couch a hundred miler. Yeah. Yeah. But people can do a 15, mm-hmm. you know, if they're getting familiar with the, with the sport. Yep. The 30 and the 50 are there to, to entertain the, the seasoned mountain biker. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's you and I and, yeah. and everyone like us, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's been riding for, you know, more than a couple few years mm-hmm. and wants a big challenge and, and they're gritty and they're real, you know, mm-hmm. to use the word, you know, to go back to the soul ride, they're soulful. Right. You know, if, if you uh, if you finish any of our events, you know, and it's short, medium, or long distance, you're going to have been challenged to a great degree. You're going to have been tapped out a couple of times. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you're going to know that when you're done, that you're a bona fide mountain biker. Like you're going to have punched your card for the year if it's the one event you do. Yeah. And know that, like, yep, you got another year of calling yourself a mountain biker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they're they're legit trails. Um, we've always. Um, focused on keeping the experience authentic. Mm. So, uh, you know, they're big loops. They're not um, multiple loops in a park. They're, they're not, you know, the trails are, are well-maintained by trail advocacy groups uh, locally that we have great relationships with and are supportive towards with mm-hmm. fundraising activities and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the probably the calling card is that our, our courses are authentic mountain biking. You're going to get out into the backcountry. You're going to feel far away. Um, you're going to get some solitude. You're going to have some introspection. You're probably going to meet a person or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to learn a few things about yourself. You're going to work through a few things about yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And when you finish, there's going to be a party waiting for you at the end. So you have, which events now uh, do you guys put on? Uh, so we'll just start from the beginning of the calendar. Um, February, President's Weekend is the 24 Hours in the Old Pueblo, presented okay. by Tucson Medical Center. Cool. Uh, April, the Whiskey Off-Road in Prescott, Arizona. Okay. Uh, May is the Grand Junction Off-Road in Grand Junction, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Followed by June, the Carson City Off-Road in Carson City, Nevada, Mm -hmm. capital of Nevada. That's right. And Our home home over there. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then then we've got in October, new this year, is the Oz Trails Off-Road in Northwest Arkansas in Bentonville and Bella Vista, Arkansas. Which is where we are right now. Yeah, totally. um, and we're going to get to that later. I'm excited to talk about that one. You mentioned earlier thinking about what mountain biking needs. Um, you know, and, and right now uh, we we have 
races or, or cross country racing, I feel like is going through somewhat of a shift. Like the majority of people that we see that are you know listening to this podcast, they ride enduro-ish type of stuff, XC-ish type of stuff, somewhere in between that. Very rarely do they just do downhill. Um, and But a lot of the cross country riders, I feel them feeling slightly either events are going away that are the traditional cross country race. And I say that, I mean like a 90 minute race, right? Um, and those are usually on shorter laps, something like that, which it's funny because like, I'll step back here and I want to hear your thoughts on this. I feel that even four years ago, five years ago, there was this message that was going to cross country racing that we need to get rid of these long loops. We need to have short loops that keep them in front of spectators because spectators are the key. Um, you're not doing that. Why? Uh, well, I, 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 in a, sorry, you are doing that in one respect. Like we have the fat tire crits before these races with the pros, mm-hmm. which is a ton of fun. Um, but why aren't you doing that with the cross country races? Uh, so, so you mentioned enduro and you, and you mentioned cross country. And I think that it's, it's probably worth pointing out that, um, mountain biking has evolved it, and it needed to, um, what started off as downhill and cross country as the disciplines, and you could go to Mammoth back in the day and do them both as a racer, right? Tomac mm-hmm. would dominate and he'd do yeah. both and he'd win them both, right? And that was like vintage mountain biking at his best. Yeah. Um, well, it evolved. And, and a lot of it's because of the awesome technology that's entered the market. Bikes are pedally. You can have a downhill bike that you can ride uphill without penalty and it mm-hmm. might even be really light too now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's, uh, there's, the, the industry has moved forward and, and I think that the, the formats have, um, are catching up to that. Mm. Um, so I think that what was downhill is now enduro. Mm-hmm. It's far more enjoyable way to, in, to go downhill yep. and, um, and it's more accessible than your traditional downhill format, which yep. is generally lift, yeah. um, you know, or shuttle generate or, or operated. Uh, and then as far as cross country, I think that it, putting, Putting people on multiple loops it became a contrived mountain bike experience. Mm-hmm. Um, mountain biking was founded on the premise of going out into the backcountry on your own and bringing yourself back on your own. Mm-hmm. You go with friends, they can contribute to the on your own component to yep. make sure you get back together, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. safety in numbers. Uh, and so, I, you know, there was during the mountain bike craze in the 90s, you know, they thought if we create multiple loops, we can have crowds around the whole loop and that'll be fun. But the reality is, is that's that's very TV centric, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to create a, a, an efficient environment to film something. Yeah. But it's not what we got into mountain biking for. Like I don't, I don't round up my friends on Thursday night in Tucson and go to Himmel park. That's, you know, a half a square mile and ride around it. We go ride in Tucson mountain park Yeah. and we do a big loop and we, you know, stop at intersections, pick a direction and, and ride the next trail. Um, and so that was a big part of what, um, you know, what we set out is to sort of set the record straight. Like if, if you're doing it for spectator friendliness, then you might be doing it the wrong way. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and, and maybe technology catch up to us in televising this thing, but, but we want to create an, uh, provide an authentic experience that goes in the backcountry. Mm. That's what, you know, when you have a big day on the mountain bike, it's fun to get far away, yeah. go to a cool place, see a pretty landscape. Yeah. And, and so that's what, um, you know, our events, we, we really avoid the cross country title. Mm-hmm. And, and we focus on calling them backcountry events uh, because you'll get out in the backcountry. Yeah, I like that. Um, is there, do you see a difference in bike racing between, so, so do you primarily serve the amateur or do you primarily serve the pro? 
Amateur first. And why? Because uh, that's just the way we were developed. Like from the beginning, like I said, we were always more concerned about second through last. Mm-hmm. And and so that's where we cut our teeth was producing events for, for large numbers of people mm-hmm. um, because that's what's going to be sustainable in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, putting on events for 12 people is not sustainable. Like there's just no, yeah. the economics don't work. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so we were founded on uh, years ago, we were accused by Richard Cunningham and a, and a media outlet as uh, uh, throwing parties that happen to have a mountain bike event nearby. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. And and I thought that was one of the highest compliments ever. You know? Yep. <laughs> um, because that's that that's what we're in this for. We're we're in mountain biking for the fun, right? I mean, there's yeah. a lot that comes from it, but ultimately, I think most people look at their involvement with mountain biking as fun, mm-hmm. and so we want to make sure that that's celebrated. Yeah. Uh, that said, whenever we started realizing where the voids were and where the opportunities were, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sue Haywood is a, a longtime friend of mine that trained in Tucson. And when I was putting together this idea of like, you know, what can we, how can we create a model event? I remember her coming back from a mountain bike event weekend where she won an Omnium and she got a check for 82 bucks. Huh. And, a, and a Timex watch. There we go. And, I, and I thought, <laughs> this is Sue Haywood. She's America's <laughs> finest mountain biker. Yeah. And, and she's chosen to, she's very intelligent. She had, (laughs) she had like a a chemistry degree or something from, from undergrad. Like she could have gone and had a very fruitful career in science. Right. And instead she chose to dedicate her life to mountain biking. And here she is getting a check for $82. And a Timex watch. Yeah. And and I thought that's not right. Like we should be finding bigger cash purses. They should be equal payout. Mm -hmm. And so we added pro next. Hmm. And, and, and although we're, we're very focused on giving the pros a professional experience, they have uh, private closed door rider meetings on Fridays mm-hmm. um, before we start the weekend where we can have an open dialogue, where if there's feedback that they'd like to contribute so that we're aware of it and we can change things for the better for them, we will. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we, it's, it's been a, a very dynamic process in pr- creating the pro category at our events because um, we're constantly trying to embrace their feedback and, and give them what they want so that the events work on terms that are good for them. Hmm. Um, so I, you know, I say we're, we're amateur first, mm-hmm. but we're very focused on giving the pros a professional experience and, and up-leveling what it means to be a pro mountain biker. Yeah, so that's that's backwards from what most events are, most traditional mountain bike events that people are probably used to, most local events, where it's kind of like the pros are the pinnacle and then we're just modeled after that necessarily. You know, we just follow in that model. But in this case, uh, it's not necessarily in that direction, not at the sacrifice of the experience for the pros. But yeah. uh, you mentioned the, the women and men side of things, and you're also leading the way in terms of mountain bike races. And I know there are plenty of races, I'm sure they're doing this, but but in terms of, payouts for female racers to male racers. And I see larger pro women field at every Epic rides race. And I see it every other mountain bike race. Cool. Um, why, right. Or how have you done that? How have you attracted more of the pro women to the, to the races like that? Because it's in many cases they're marginalized. Uh, yeah. Treat them equally. Yeah. Like just, it's not about like equality. It's just same. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Just two humans. <laughs> yep, not different. Um, yeah, not so respect. when we introduced a pro category, uh, 
uh, we so I guess a little bit of background for the listener. The the whiskey off road became the model event for the off road series. Uh, it had been around for about three or four years, and then we looked at it and thought we can turn this thing into more, mm-hmm. and this will be the event that becomes the model event that we take national. Mm. And so, and then we put about six years into developing that event. And and one of the things we did was added a pro category. Mm. That thing started as a twenty five and a fifty mile event that the city of Prescott, uh, through great cooperation, gave us four parking spots on Whiskey Row. <laughs> That's very generous. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, there were, yeah, it was great. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Whiskey Row is a, a major tourism destination. It sees 12,000 people a day without wow. our event there. Holy cow. Right. So, it, wow. you know, there's bigger you know, things to talk about there, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, they, you know, we started with two distances in a one-day event. And then when we added the pro category, we went to, to, to three days, and there's two stages of pro racing. And, and we added a $20,000 purse to, to start the pro category. Hmm. And at the time, we had, I think the first year of ever having a pro category, we had a, I want to say it was 104 registered pros. Wow. Yeah. And, okay. and I think that we were, I don't remember the number. I want to say we were around 25 or 30 females. That's awesome. Yeah. That's huge. That's much more, for those listening, that's much more than what you usually see at a cross-country race. So, yeah. Um, Go with with the courses that you have, if you don't mind moving on to, to that side of things, how do you find the courses and how do you plan them out? Uh, yesterday, we we actually pre-rode a good portion of, of the course here and just kind of scouted out some trails. We're looking for things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in, you're pretty analytical, I noticed. And when you had, I, I would notice you would distance yourself a bit from us and I would see you looking around and I could see gears turning in your head. <laughs> um, what do you look for? when you make these courses, like what, what are the criteria upon which you judge a course or a trail so that it could be a part of a course? Uh, oof. So all of our off-road series events start and finish in the downtown of the host community. Okay. Um, so they all have a, a road pavement transfer uh, in the beginning, a neutral rollout uh, to get to the trails. Mm-hmm. Uh, the communities are are in a big way a partner of the event. Mm-hmm. And, and that comes through a variety of, of um, collaborative efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of them is we get a police escort to the trails for each group that rolls out. Awesome. So, so it's pretty cool. Like the energy in that rollout is neat. Yeah. Uh, but to, to that point, you know, having trails nearby, mm-hmm. like we don't want that rollout to be 10 miles of pavement. <laughs> you know, we, we try <laughs> yeah, and keep yeah. it around three or four. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of a disparity here, but we also gain that back on the back end of the course because the trails end in downtown proper. They almost literally end in the town square. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, you know, when you, when you leave the dirt at the Austrails off road, you'll be a block from the finish line. Yeah. Which is a pretty cool way to finish. It's awesome. Um, yeah, so we've got a whole assortment of criteria that helps us identify communities that we can operate in. Hmm. Um, but uh, using Carson City as an example, we had heard uh, we had heard that there was this emerging trails community, and it was done underground. Mm-hmm. And you know, as as much as uh, you know, things all need to be done above bar. Yeah, um, mountain biking has a habit of starting underground. Yeah, it does, <laughs> as we all know. Yeah, it's the ask for forgiveness rather than permission a lot of the time. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and that was exactly what got our attention. So, um, uh, what is now Muscle Powered? Some of the members of Muscle Powered were building trail in their off hours because mm-hmm. uh, they just wanted trails in their community. And, and it turns out the trails were illegal. Mm-hmm. And but when the city found out about them, they didn't say let's abolish the trails. They said 
there's probably something good in having amazing trails in our backyard. So they embraced them. They made them system trails. And, and now literally like, I think two weeks ago, they bought land uh, from a private landowner that had given us permission to cross their land because there was a trail on it. It's aptly called the secret trail because mm-hmm. <laughs> it was blatantly illegal. Yeah, yeah. Um, they bought that to maintain the trail. That so, is awesome. Right. So we're looking for you know, communities that have access to good trails, uh, first and foremost, access to good trails, right? right. Um, but also that value the mountain bike community. They understand mm-hmm. that we can be good for them economically um, and, that, and that there's value in having uh, mountain bikers in their community from, from the, the community standpoint that mm-hmm. we're, we're good. Um, what type of, uh, when we get onto the specific trails themselves, how do you, how do you decide what a good mix is or what, what characteristics are you looking for in the trails? Is it um, like, for example, single tracks, do you have like a ratio that you usually go for, for like single track to non-single track? Do you not really care as much and just go forward thinking about like the overall experience that, that's delivered or how do you decide the trail by trail aspect of it? Oof. Um, we work with the, what the, you know, the community has. We, we definitely want to see a pretty high percentage of single track. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that varies from event to event. Um, we are not, uh, we don't shy away from double track or dirt roads. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because if you're going to go out for a long mountain bike ride, more often than not, you're going to piece trails together, which means you're going to end up on the occasional piece of pavement mm-hmm. or double track or dirt road or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So we're really just replicating what most people would do if they were doing one of these long rides at home. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I guess, being the selection, uh, you know, we, we want it to test people. Uh, we, want, we want people to have to dig deep, mm-hmm. um, you know, and be gratified. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to, we don't want someone to ride so much in a day that they don't want to ride again, period. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something really gratifying from going for a long ride and, and knowing that when you're done, um, one, having enough energy left in the tank to go out to dinner, go mm-hmm. out and you know, have a beverage and celebrate with your friends, not be so exhausted that you just pass out on the couch and you're done until the next day. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like uh, yeah, shelled, but not, not done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that you get that, uh, the gratification, uh, you know, it should have lasted at least a week that, hey, I did something really big a mm-hmm. few days ago. I'm good. You know, yeah. I can go out and ride for a couple of miles. I can go for a walk yeah. with my family and feel like I'm doing the right thing. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, something unique that I find is that, so yesterday as we're, as we're riding these trails and we're looking at different things, I noticed an eagerness on your end to incorporate a lot of trail that was downhill, that was fun and rewarding. And a lot of events that are XC focused, they really don't care about that. In fact, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of one specific race. And I'm sure a lot of people know of what I'm talking about. It's a race inside of a park and then, well, they don't have anything really fun or technical. So they'll throw in a log and then you have to hop over a log um, and they throw in a rock and you have to hop over a rock and that's it for the whole course. Right. Uh, so it's, I think that a lot of people think of cross country racing as fun is very much secondary flowy trail or incorporation of technical elements is very much secondary. We see the world cup courses of traditional XEO format, that short lap stuff. They are having technical elements uh, put into there, but it doesn't seem like they're looking at it like, Oh yeah, this is a fun section to add in, but you are doing that. 
Um, is and I guess that still goes to, and I've heard you guys say like it's you know it's all about what is it uh, a good day on the bike right it's like what you're after I assume that's why that's what you're going for is to to make it rewarding on that side of things absolutely yeah yeah it, you know what what goes up must come down right um, it, we're not we're not intentionally punishing people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know but we believe in climbing up a hill to get to good trails yeah it might be going the other way or, or just at the top of the hill right you know you gotta you gotta it, it's look it's the metaphor for life you know you, you you what you put in you'll get it back yeah and 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 so of course we want to find um rewarding descents that that you know it's funny people will the whiskey off-road or the Carson City off-road, there's some really big climbs there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and y- you can, I think everybody can relate. You're climbing up a long climb, you're slogging up it, it's been 20, 30 minutes, and you think like, why do I do this? Why do I do this to myself? <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Like, yeah. you know, like, like yeah. that. And then not literally two minutes after you crest that hill and you're clicking down into a better gear and you're getting ready to go downhill and those thoughts are completely gone. Yeah. And you think... Woohoo! Yeah, <laughs> changes your perspective entirely. Yeah, it's like a distant memory, you know. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so I, we're looking for to give people good, high quality mountain bike experiences. Yeah, and and that includes the ups and the downs, and and the fun stuff, and the not so fun stuff, and you know, everything in between. With uh, so right now, let's talk a little bit about so you 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 developed out the the events that you have. Then Oz Trails is a new addition for this year. Oz Trails Off Road, here in Arkansas. Uh, this course that you have here is unique. We'll talk about this one, and then we're going to move on to some other things. But I I've never once seen a bike community like this in my life. I've been to I've been to Whistler, which is you know in the summer you'd swear it's founded around bikes, but it still doesn't feel like this. Um, this is something that's totally different. Now, it doesn't mean that you have gnarly A-line trails all over the place, but there are. There's a full-on jump park that looks like a Crankworks uh, slope-style course that I saw yesterday. Um, there's technical gnarly stuff. How did you find this community? And then, and, and we'll have another podcast on this that people can listen to, but how did you find this community? And then how did you, or how was this different? Because this is a totally unique experience to me coming to a town like this. Uh, so we, uh, I was introduced to somebody, uh, what, probably two, three years ago now, mm. uh, from the, from the mountain bike community here that is one of the influencers and, 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 and it couldn't have been better. We were around a lot of mutual friends that knew what they have going on here and what they had been developing for about a decade now mm-hmm. and knew what Epic Rides is leaning into as far as producing a national series of mountain bike events in the off-road series. Mm-hmm. And, and they said, you two need to talk. And then it couldn't have been more favorable for everybody who's mutual friends to just really give Epic Rides a heck of an introduction. Mm-hmm. And so that's what started the talks. Hmm. Uh, but about 12 years ago when the off-road series was even just an idea, basically. Hmm. I mean, that's when like, okay, now the hard work starts you right. know, to create yeah, this yeah. thing from the ground up. And, and, and uh, the Ozarks got just a small bit of press hmm. in, in one, of the, one of the magazines. And, and my writing buddy at the time, 
just for the sake of conversation, I mean, every morning we'd go out for a road spin or a mountain bike ride on the weekends or whatever it was, and I would constantly beat him up with, what do you think of this at an event? And what do you think of that at an event? And how, yeah. you know, what would people do if this was, you know? And, and he said, you need to go to the Ozarks. It's because there was this like half page article or something in a magazine. And I thought, do they even have mountains there? Where are the Ozarks? Yeah. What is that? You know, and, or he said, you got to go to Arkansas. And I said, you know, what that mountains? He said the Ozarks, right? And, uh, and yeah, to be here now is, is kind of a funny, you know, turn yeah. of events to, to a decade ago, have this, <laughs> you know, whimsy idea. And then to, to now be producing the Austrails off-road. And, and to your point, this community is not, like others, yeah, it's different. They're from the ground up, you know, building a mountain bike culture. Uh, every, you know, there's a lot of small towns in now, northwest Arkansas. Um, you know, everything from I guess Eureka Springs over to, to Fayetteville, mm-hmm. and and Rogers, and all these little towns, and all of them have a pump track, a nice pump track. Yeah, and all of them have bikes in the schools for kids, and uh, and and I mean, what started as uh, four and a half m- miles of trail in Slaughter Pen which is one of the trail, the original phase one of the trail systems, I guess. Yeah. The OG trail here yeah. uh, that they were so proud of. All yeah. right, four and a half miles of trail. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Now in just uh, Bentonville and Bella Vista and this immediate area, yeah. they've got 300 miles and they'll have 350 at the end of the year of oh single track. Oh my goodness. There's a lot of trail. There's a lot of dirt roads. There's more than that. These, aren't, think, these aren't huge towns either. Like, no. like this isn't like a big city. No, like this, this is 30,000 people. Yeah, it's a small community. Yeah. So and that many trails in this small of an area, and 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 Bella Vista, and then Bentonville—that's where this race will roughly be taking place—is in that region. Yeah. So surrounded by, you know, you have so many options to pick from, three hundred to four hundred miles of trail. So we're going to use you know fifty-ish miles for our courses. Yeah. But we know that when people come to an off-road series weekend. They're going to ride, they're going to probably, you know, they very well might show up on Thursday or stay till Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if they just arrive on Friday and leave on Sunday, uh, they're probably going to ride a little bit on Friday. They're going to do their ride on Saturday and they're going to probably ride a little more on Sunday before they leave. Yeah. And just in this area, like, you know, there's Kohler Bike Park. There's, there's so many more trails that they can roll out from downtown and go do. Yeah. It, it's, it's expansive and, uh, yeah, the... Yeah, it's it's an amazing place. It's crazy. So yesterday we're we're riding through town and I'm looking over and basically like the way that the streets work here is you start to leave the town square. The way the streets work is they kind of like winds on these little ridge lines and you're surrounded by haul, uh, by haulers as they call them or little little hollows if you will on the side. And every single one of them that I saw had at least one trail in them, but many times it was more than that. And it's just this vast network of trails. You come up to the top of the road and there's these signs that, that flash when a, when a mountain biker is coming up and traffic like happily stops for everybody. It was just, it's surreal. There's signs everywhere helping you and like everything's well signed. Um, this place is, yeah, it's something else. So I'm excited for that. I'm not going to go into too much more detail because we'll have a whole podcast on this event and this region coming up here. But um, this event is something different I feel like it's, it's a diversification of your race portfolio, right? Uh, we have a lot of races out West. How is this one different for the mountain biker that's going to go do this that maybe has done a previous Epic Rides race? How would you say it's different? Oh, the terrain gets completely out of our comfort zone. Um, Prescott is, you know, Prescott and Carson city are very similar in that they've got these big, big climbs. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, you, you do, 
in the 50 in Prescott, the Whiskey Off-Road, you'll do three big climbs mm -hmm. and three big descents, which is a really cool way to go mountain biking and have a good ride, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, Carson City, you do one giant climb mm -hmm. and one giant descent, which is also a really cool way. It's like, you know, yeah. dinner and dessert, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grand Junction is... Uh, a little less climby, but it's really technical. It's mm -hmm. it's chunky at times, mm -hmm. and um, and it's got those you know classic West Slope views you know throughout and and the Gunnison River Valley and, and the Colorado and the junction of you know what is the Colorado River going into the Grand Canyon and everything else. Um, here it's death by a thousand hills. Yeah, uh, it's a good way to say it. <laughs> it's uh, you know every every climb is fifty to a hundred feet. Yeah, you're either climbing or you're descending. Yep. Uh, if you're climbing and you're hurting, it'll be over in three minutes, yeah. maybe five. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it's really long, it's five. <laughs> yeah, it's usually one to three, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's, uh, you know, that sounds, to, you know, people listening, they're like, oh, well, that's not bad. Yeah. But wait until you've done that over and over, you know, for your for your umpteenth time and yeah. <laughs> accelerations over and over. And, it's, ah. and then the but, descents on either side of them, the descents come just as soon. Yeah. And they just egg you on. Yeah. I mean, it, that's the beauty is that these trails just flow. Yeah. And, and so they're very different in that regard. Uh, and then, and then you also get the the um, the, qual the the professionally built component. Mm. Uh, there's three different trail building companies here that are full time year round, that are building out the trails and the trail systems. Mm. Uh, so you get the um, the the flow by design experience. Turns are bermed out. You can maintain speed. Uh, there's uh, oftentimes trails that have, you know, single doubles and tabletops in them mm -hmm. that me, who I can assure you does not belong in the air. Yeah. Like I am not, <laughs> I don't jump, you right. know, my bunny hops look uncoordinated <laughs> and, and, and it's, you know, maybe it's special to see because of that, but it's not because it's like beautiful. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I can ride, uh, you know, the, uh, flow ride trail here yeah. and, and, feel like I know what I'm doing, doubling up on a jump. Yeah. And that's something that is just something that everybody should experience. Yeah. You know, it, they're enablers. The trails enable you to be uh, maybe your best rider for, for the day, for the weekend, for the visit. It's a blast. If you've done an epic rides race before, this one this one is uh, same same great weekend, but painted with a different brush. It's going to be a pretty cool experience for folks. Um, stepping away a little bit from the specific events that you do, I want to talk about mountain biking as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, uh, whether this was your intention or not, I believe that you're one of the driving forces in what mountain biking will be in the next 10 years, 15 years, and after that. I can see that. Yeah. Um, because it's, you're, you're changing it right now. Oh, I, one problem that I see with mountain biking is participation numbers uh, at traditional cross-country mountain bike races are down uh, from what they used to be. Uh, how do we solve that problem? And I mean, obviously your events are having great participation, but, but how do we solve that problem? How do we make mountain bike racing more popular? Uh, stay true to the sport. Um, and I, I'm gonna disagree with you. I don't know that numbers are down. Okay. I think that they were as recent as three or four years ago. Yeah. But when I look around and I've, you know, I'm, I'm I'm lucky that our our customer is a mountain biker because mountain bikers are great people. Mm -hmm. uh, different from other disciplines in this facet of the world in cycling, mm -hmm. mountain bikers 
in my very biased opinion, mm -hmm. are the best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a person, they're they're more rounded, they're more patient, they're more open to adventure, mm -hmm. and that bleeds into who they are as a as a personality and their demeanor and their approach to everyday life. Mm -hmm. And that you know, I'll always be fortunate to have mountain bikers as our customer. Mm -hmm. um, but I also have gotten to know a ton of other event promoters. And it's important at Epic Rides for us to be friends with as many of the events that are in the communities that we're going into and that we're operating in as possible. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're all in this together. We're not so big that we can afford to have rivalry. Mm -hmm. um, we need to collaborate. We need to be um, you know, scheduled well so that we're, we're all getting opportunity out of it and so that there can, there's opportunities for more people to be mountain bikers. Mm -hmm. um, and when I look around, uh, NICA is thriving right now, the, mm -hmm. the high school league. Um, right. They're in, I believe, 20, uh, over 20 states at this point. And, and I think, and the way I'm questioning that, because I think they had 21,000 athletes last year. My goodness. And there was significant growth in there, and they expect that much growth or more in 2018 as well. Uh, they're ahead of their goal to be coast to coast uh, by 2020. And, and so uh, I met with somebody this morning that um, is from Michigan, I think. And, and he was saying that their high school league events have 1,500 plus 2,000 riders every event weekend. Oh my goodness. Right. It's awesome. That's just high school and middle school. That's not the adults. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think that, and then I, you know, like Cimarron Chacon, who produces the True Grit Epic out in Utah and, and uh, St. George, mm -hmm. um, they filled up early this year for the first time. Yeah. So I think that I think the mountain biking has turned a, a big corner in the last year or two. Okay. And I think there's a really big opportunity for it going forward. But as far as the events that might be down, uh, I think it's about producing an event that the participant wants to have, an experience mm -hmm. they want to have, giving them the experience they want to have. Hmm. Uh, you know, your original question is about that vibe and the community and the experience people have. We've never looked at it as the party isn't about us. We're simply creating the platform for everyone to show up and have success on the trail in a safe environment mm -hmm. and to have fun together at the venue and around the community. So, you know, getting, getting the host communities to give us their downtown for three days, uh, collaborating with the restaurants and bars so that there's live music and cool, re uh, cool menu items uh, that just add to the experience, mm -hmm. those are accent pieces. It's bringing the community together just to have fun together. You know, having yeah. the big industry expo so that people can interact and, and everyone is in the same place. It's that critical mass that, um, that people sign up for. And, and come back for. And, and that's what you know, any other event should be aiming to do hmm. is just providing an experience. And it doesn't need to be this huge you know, thing with all these pieces. That's a pretty complex thing for us to produce. But, but just to start in a finish line with a boot and dragging it through the dirt and saying, this is it, is part of creating experience. Right. You know, and that's what, you know, that's what people should be you know, looking for hmm. and, and showing up for. Uh, what are your thoughts on stage races versus for the average rider? We're, we're talking average bike racer, right? Mm -hmm. Stage races versus single day races. Because the majority of yours are single day. Well, single day in the sense that like if you're racing, you race one day. If you're a pro, you'll do the fat tire crit and then do that. Uh, but what are your thoughts on stage races versus single day races? I think they're awesome. I'm glad that they happen, that they're out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we probably... I don't know that we have one in our near future because yeah. uh, we want to produce events that everyone can do. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a big part of who we are as, as a company and a culture. Mm. And, um, and it goes back to that inclusiveness. And, and stage races are, 
uh, not necessarily for the beginner. Yeah. And um, and then and then when you look at who the seasoned mountain biker is that can do a stage race, they tend to be very expensive, mm-hmm. and uh, and they require a lot of time. And and you know we've got all types of people at our events, but mountain bikers uh, oftentimes that 30s 40s crowd that has you know they have a family, they have a career. They have responsibilities outside of mountain biking. Mm-hmm. And and so to take a five-day vacation where you need to show up a day before and you're probably going to leave a day later, uh, that's seven days of vacation that you might not be enjoying with your family yeah. or, or otherwise. Um, right. That said, I think as far as a platform for mountain biking to be showcased mm. from a professional standpoint or for the most hardcore that, that really enjoy, maybe they don't have those obligations or maybe they have more flexibility and and they can afford to go out and take a, a you know five day seven day vacation, then then absolutely you know the Cape Epic is, I think it's the the signature event for mountain biking worldwide. Mm-hmm. You know they do such a good job producing a really broad reaching event. They have really engaged media, global media presence, mm-hmm. um, and it's authentic mountain biking. They're they're putting mountain biking in front of the whole world. Right, uh, it's our Tour de France. You know? Yeah, and I think that that's. I think it's fantastic and it's, it's got its place. Hmm. Um, but it's important as a community that we're offering everything from uh, the most simple weekend experience where it's, it is a, a boot and a dirt road and, and people can show up and have a race or a ride and experience, see their friends, see the community, and then go home afterwards. Yeah. To, mm-hmm. to an off-road series event weekend that's three days, even though there's one day of riding for the amateurs and two for the pros, but mm-hmm. it's a, a full submersion experience. Um, where you know people can also have that experience and everything in between, and then you know for the ones that need more riding, they want to go do the BC the BC bike race, which is up there with the Cape Epic for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, the Breck Epic, like those guys crush it. Yeah, like it's. I think all of it is part of having a healthy industry. Yeah, and 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 giving people experiences that they seem to want. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Earlier, you mentioned high school racers. Um, and something that we see, I mean, when we have 21,000 kids in the country, potentially, you know, racing mountain bikes right now, um, do we have enough races for them? Do we need more races? Uh, is there a gap in your opinion that we need to kind of bridge there? I think that, uh, I think the high school league is doing a great job. Yeah. And, and I think they're bursting at the seams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They simply, it seems like they... It seems like it all, if they put a league anywhere, it will grow. It's that simple. It seems, yeah, you know. I think the world, I think our country is ready for mountain biking. Yeah. I think the putting mountain biking, uh, Matt Fritzinger, I think is the founder of NICA. Okay. And yeah. hats off to that guy. Yeah. And, and Austin McInerney, who, who took up the reins after Matt, you know, mm-hmm. exited. Uh, like the timing getting mountain biking into an environment where it can compete with the stick and ball sports was uh, a hat trick in itself mm-hmm. and then the timing uh, you know matt doing that and then austin and and the whole nika i mean everybody all the leagues and the folks in in in, in emeryville i think is where they are or, yeah. or berkeley yeah. um like the timing couldn't be more perfect for mountain biking and the parents are looking at sport and saying which one makes the most sense for my child, you know? Mm-hmm. And mountain biking's got enough cachet. It's not road cycling. Yeah. It can compare to stick and ball sports. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. So where, to where the you know, children can to choose to be a mountain biker and be perceived as cool. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal for kids, you know? Yeah. 
Um, so I think that there's a great uh, a great platform for for mountain biking and youth in America right now. Yeah, and it'll continue to grow. Um, I don't know about a, a sufficient number of events for them, but I feel like each state that has it has enough to work with to, yeah. to accommodate if there's demand for more. Yeah, I mean, looking at it right there, I, I feel like uh, when when kids go, if if Joey chooses to focus on baseball, you know, and 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 mountain biking, let's say, then he ends up picking baseball because of scholarships, or because of the fact that there's AAA, and then after AAA, you know, you can move on your way on up and eventually get up into the big leagues. Um, yeah, I th- I feel, and you don't even have to answer this. This is just me rambling here. But I feel that that events like what you're putting on, that we need more of these style events. We need more mountain bike events, period. Uh, so then we can have a more consistent feeder system that actually makes mountain biking something that could be sustainable and supportive for a family, uh, for riders. Because it, it is for some, but it's for a very small select few mountain bikers. It's something that they can really just support their entire life on and a mm-hmm. family and that sort of a thing. Um, but it's incredible. Like what a time right now to see this happening with all these kids. Um, it's fantastic. If you, if you want to say something on that? Yeah. yeah. So I think, I see what you're saying now. And I, and, yeah. and I agree with you. I, and we're probably in, I think Barry Wick said we're in the golden years of mountain biking right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think part of it is, you know, this is a sport that's being, it's still very young. It, it had a, a period of time back in the late 90s, early 2000s, where it was probably mismanaged on some level. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're, we're kind of dusting it off and building it stronger. Mm. And, and I think like exponentially stronger now, mm-hmm. uh, which means more sustainable for the long term. Right. So I think where you're leaning is what happens in the near future. But first, it's about establishing this base. Mm-hmm. So we have something to develop on top of so that there is enough for the inception to conclusion mountain biker Um, for a kid who goes into it in middle school and high school as a sport and in in, in school and then can graduate through college as uh, a racer in their state series, probably like I was. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also that if they, if they want to be a pro, there's a platform where they can be rewarded like a pro and, and there's prestige of being a pro. Mm -hmm. And then if they choose to go out and pursue a completely non-endemic career, but still want to be a mountain biker, which is the beauty of cycling, no matter what the discipline or, or the you know the, the format. Um, then they also still stay involved, and, and it's and it's seamless. Hmm. Um, so, but I think that you know now that we've got a, we still have a little bit longer before a real foundation is fully built out. Mm-hmm. But once that's there, what we do on top of that is when it gets pretty interesting, probably. Yeah, yeah. I'm eager. I think you're going to play a role in that. I think you'll be a key component in it. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Um, Todd, I guess that, that covers things. We're about an hour into this thing and we try to keep things short to an hour for folks. Um, if anybody needs to find out more about Epic Rides or if you're looking for a mountain bike event, and this goes for the guys that are enduro racers too. Uh, I feel like enduro racers should absolutely do absolutely be looking to do at least one epic rides race a year if you're especially like a a serious enduro racer even more so but a casual one that just does it because you'll be it's it's a 35 or 50 mile day on the bike or maybe heck you do the 15 one whatever it is right you do all any of those three it's really good trails always you're going to have a guarantee of having good fun trails and then it's going to build up the type of endurance that you need for for that sort of thing so how how can they find out more about epic rides go to epicrides.com. Awesome. Yeah, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you, Todd. Appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks, Jonathan. 
Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.